0: Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant, in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio, hosted by Primrose Granville, the Accidental Campaigner.
1: Hello again, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the third podcast in the series, Podcasting for Our Health, by me, Primrose Granville, the Accidental Campaigner. So, what are we talking about today today? Today we're going to discuss, at length the organ donation law change. Today we're going to discuss the role of a snod. No, I didn't mean the prickly stuff in your nostrils. I meant a specialist nurse on organ donation. What do they do? How do they help to keep people like me alive? How do they help to make people who donate their organs absolute heroes and leave beautiful legacies? What exactly is it that makes a snod, a snod? What is so wonderful about this role? Because anything that relates to organ donation or anyone that gets involved in the whole narrative around organ donation is a very special person. So we will hear from a very special lady. Her name is Angela Ditchfield and she is a specialist nurse on organ
2: donation. I'm a specialist nurse for organ donation. I've been a specialist nurse for about 10 years now and came into the job role after working as a sister in intensive care. So my background's always been working in critical care, intensive care, and then I joined the specialist nurse team 10 years ago and our role is to support families at the end of life and offer organ donation as an end-of-life voice so we work really closely with families who are you know at the worst possible time of their life and if the families want to agree to organ donation then we help to facilitate that and make sure that that happens to them so that the loved one can go on and help save other lives So it's really an amazing job. And we also work at the critical care unit in a few hospitals and we make sure that we're supporting the staff so they understand about organ donation and um, we we work closely with them so that when patients are at the end of life then we can then come in at that point and help to support the staff, the families and work together so that we can facilitate organ donation. So it's a huge job and it's a privileged job to do.
1: Angela, tell me, how difficult a conversation is it or you to have with a family who has just been told that their loved one is not going
0: to survive?
2: Yeah, it's such a difficult conversation. And for us, you know, we want to make sure that we are working with that family to support them at that awful time. And like you say, you know, the worst possible time for them, they're losing someone they love. But we want to make sure that we can do anything we can to help them at that time and organ donation is something that helps families we know that they can't save the loved one but their loved ones could go on and change the life story of someone else and you know save life so for families that's something that they're really proud of for the loved one and really selflessly think of others in that situation so the conversations we have are very difficult but Again, like I said, it's a privilege to be speaking to families at that time and helping to support them. And as specialist nurses, we won't do anything we can to just make that awful time just that little bit easier for them. As a specialist nurse, we get lots of training, lots of support from the organisation. You know, we work with some amazing organisations within communities and some amazing people within the hospitals. So we're really well supported, and we make sure that we're helping families at that awful time. And whatever their organ donation decision is, will help to make sure that anything they need at that point at end of life for the loved one, that we can help all at that.
1: A lot of people don't understand who can donate their organs. Can you tell us the circumstances around which someone can become a deceased organ
2: donor? Like you said, people, they sign on to the organ donor register and think, I want to be an organ donor and think that's a given that that will happen and that's not the case. There's only around 1% of the people who die who cannot become organ donors because of the circumstances that they have to die in. And that's why we work, especially nurses, in critical care areas. So to become an organ donor um, at the time of your death, you've got to be on a life support machine in a critical care area. So like the accident emergency or intensive care, critical care as it is now. So it's a very small percentage population In those circumstances. You're more likely to need a transplant than you are to be a donor. So it's really important that we're making sure that as you know, we, we identify, make sure these patients who are in that situation, their families are offered um, organ donation because there's such a small pool of people who die in that situation, but then on the other side, waiting for a transplant, there's a huge amount of people waiting for life-saving transplants. So that's why our role is so important within that critical care area to make sure that we, we're there at end of life to offer to families organ donation.
1: I'm Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner, podcasting for our health. I didn't set out to do this. However, I am the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I am a transplant recipient myself the law change around organ donation in England in May 2020. Can you talk us through the law change and, and what that means and possibly make it really simple for people who just don't understand it and what it entails?
2: So May 2020, like you said, the law changed around organ donation and it's become Max and Kira's law. So Max was a little boy who received a life-saving heart transplant from a a little girl called Kira who unfortunately died. But had already talked to her parents and said that she wanted to be an organ donor. So her family agreed to that and went on to save Max's life. So it's amazing that, you know, the law... It's called Max and Kira's law now, recognising that Kira gives that gift of life. And it changed so that it's an opt-out system now. So everybody's considered to agree to be an organ donor when they die, unless they opt out, if that's not what they want. But obviously, it's not everybody. So you've got to be over 18, and you've not got to be in one of the excluded groups so if you're under the age of 18 it doesn't affect you um, and people who lack the capacity to understand that the law has changed it wouldn't include them visitors to england they're not included as well they've got to have lived in england for more than 12 months at the time of their death to be included in the, the legislation change so there is some excluded groups to that despite like the law change which is great and we've got lots of people now talking about this talking about organ donation because of the, the recent change in the law it's still really important that and work with families at that time so we, we make sure the specialist nurses will go in and we'll speak to the family work with them we'll try and understand what the loved one's decision was around organ donation and people can still opt onto the organ donor registry if they feel really passionate about organ donation and they really want to be an organ donor if they don't want to be then they just opt out of that system but again working with the family is so important because we need the family to be involved in conversations about the lifestyle and the history of the loved one. And the family really don't agree with organ donation, then it wouldn't go ahead. It's because the laws change. We don't just go ahead with that. We need that family on board. So it's brilliant because it's making people have more conversations now. And I think the most important thing is about having that conversation with your family and sharing that decision, regardless of yes, I want to be an organ donor or no, I don't want to be an organ donor. You know, it's really important. It's been great that. There's been you know more publicity and media around the law change so we're getting more people to really think about what they would want if they were ever in that situation. The Leave them Certain campaign was launched by NHS Blood and Transplant and it's really about urging families to talk about urban donation. We know that there's so many people when we go meet families, we'll speak to them about organ donation and we'll say, we- We've never talked about this, we've never had that conversation. And that's understandable, people don't want to talk about death and dying. So the Leave them Certain campaign, we urging people to have them conversations and we want to highlight the impact of not knowing what that has on the family that are left behind and so we're trying to get people to talk about their decision and share that with the family because it's so important. they are already in the worst possible time
1: losing someone they love what would you say to somebody who still doesn't believe in organ donation or just won't embrace the conversation
2: i would say just really think about it and um, you know think about what if you were ever in that situation where you needed a life-saving transplant uh, or someone in your family someone you knew that needed that transplant we work with the doctors and nurses on the critical care units and we're not part of that team we're just there to help support them so and they you know once that decision's been made that that person can't be Save, and only after that decision then we come in and so if, if you're ever in that situation they do everything they can to save someone but then if they can't then just think about how amazing it would be to then go on and save the life of you know one two three up to nine people can be saved from um, organ donation so it's just such an amazing thing to do for the families that are left behind it's that legacy and knowing that their loved one has gone on to to help save the life of someone and change the the lives of the families and not only that it has a massive impact on society where people can get back to work and go on to have children and things like that it's a huge it's a huge thing
0: to do Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio.
1: How important is research when one is looking after the kidneys? Does it really need to happen? Don't you just get kidneys and you transplant them or if somebody's got kidney disease, you fix it? Actually, no. It's a lot more complicated than that. We will meet Pippa Bailey. She's one of my consultants. She's looked after me when I've been at my absolute worst, before I had a transplant, and I've seen her after having a transplant. Pippa is a researcher as well. What kind of research does she do? Why does she bother to research stuff to do with the kidneys? Is it really that important? It is. Because if someone like me didn't get a healthy kidney, I would go through the trauma of having to do it all again. And when you receive a transplanted organ, your body changes. Because all kinds of things are happening to you when you get a new organ. It changes lots of little things that has to do with your blood and antibodies. So research is very, very important to ensure that people like me Or anyone else who's waiting for an organ gets the right organ transplanted into our very, very precious bodies because not any organ will do. In fact, getting any organ might just make you worse.
3: I'm a kidney doctor and a researcher, so I spend some of my time working as a consultant um, in the kidney unit at uh, one of the hospitals in Bristol, but I spend most of my time working at the University of Bristol doing research into kidney disease and uh, kidney transplantation. And um, we try to look after the person who's around the kidneys. So we, we you know, we work with people who have kidney disease and they might have kidney disease for a short time in their lives might be a a very short period of kidney disease that they recover from Um, but a lot of people have kidney disease for for their lives a disease that lasts throughout their lives and therefore we get to know people with kidney disease really well and we get to work with them as they kind of navigate the journey of um, the pathway of having kidney disease and thinking about different treatments for that so Um, I personally work alongside people who have kidneys that are damaged um, significantly so that it's affecting their health, their ability to live and do things that they like. I work with people who have kidney failure where the kidneys really aren't doing enough to keep someone well and keep someone um, happy and healthy. Most people need extra treatments to keep them well and some of those treatments include dialysis um, and transplantation and most of my work is with people who have been lucky enough to have a kidney transplant and some of my work is with people who have chosen to donate kidneys and um, so to give a kidney to someone else that they might know who needs a kidney transplant.
1: So I am a kidney patient and, and I know you medically because you, you have been someone who's actually been my consultant and has been there for me you said something earlier that really hit you said some people have kidney disease for a short time in their life and some may have it longer what would you classify as people who have kidney disease for a short time and those who have it longer? What, what, what are the differences?
3: So sometimes the kidneys get upset um, by something just temporarily and then they recover. So the thing, different things that can upset kidneys are things like infections. So lots of people might um, be familiar with sort of having a, a bladder infection uh, or a kidney infection and that's something that temporarily can cause a bit of kidney upset and the, ki- the kidneys might not be working quite so well, but you can treat the infection and the infection gets better and the kidneys get better. So they only have a temp- you know kidney disease for a very short time. There are other diseases that can temporarily upset a kidney. Sometimes people have allergic reactions to drugs, medications, things like that, that can also temporarily upset the kidneys, which means... Temporarily the kidneys say, I'm not going to work for a bit, but then you treat the underlying problem and the kidneys sort of come back to life and work perfectly again. But there are other people who have something that damages the kidneys more permanently and we can't make the kidneys better at the moment. And so instead of being able to make the kidneys better, we have to look at other options of trying to do the job of the kidneys with other treatments or giving someone a kidney transplant, which...
1: We'll obviously give someone a new kidney which will start to do the job of the kidneys that, of theirs that have failed i've got polycystic kidney disease i know that i was born with with this disease because i inherited it from my mother mm. who inherited it from her mother who inherited mm. it from her mother you know i'm doing my genealogy and I'm, I'm trying to sort of reconcile with where it came from and but for people like me in in a very simplistic way is there ever going to be a cure?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm an optimist so I, and I have great belief in the power of humanity to learn and develop and come up with great ideas and great solutions to problems. So at the moment, there isn't a treatment that will make someone's kidneys that have been damaged by polycystic kidney disease. There are some treatments that slow down how quickly the kidneys get damaged. So As you know, kidneys which have been affected by polycystic kidney disease will often work for a long time very well. But then gradually over time, the cysts will get worse and the kidneys will start to slowly stop working and start to slowly fail. There are some treatments that try and slow down that decline so that people don't get to kidney failure as soon as they would have done without that treatment. But at the moment, we don't have treatments that will make polycystic kidney disease better. But I'm hopeful that in the future, someone cleverer than me will develop that sort of treatment. When kidneys don't work, you feel awful. And it's only when they stop working that you start to realise what they've been doing. Like that song, that You Don't Know What You've Got till so It's Gone. You know, they do so much for the body. They get rid of waste products. They help your body to produce red blood cells, which help carry oxygen out of the body. They help look after your vitamin D levels and your bones. They do so much. And when they stop working, a lot of things go wrong and you can feel. Really, quite unwell. We're lucky in medicine in that we do have treatments like dialysis, which can help to do some of the jobs of the kidneys once they've stopped working. But you know this better than than I do. Dialysis isn't a very nice treatment. It's not gentle on the body. It takes its toll. Takes up a lot of people's time. Uh, not a great treatment. A patient said to me the other day, it seems to me that dialysis is a treatment. You call it a treatment, but it's a treatment that takes away your whole life. And I think that's probably quite a good description of it. So the best treatment we really have for kidney failure is is a transplant. And I wouldn't call it a cure. And you know, that's people who have had transplants tell me it's not a cure, but it's the best treatment for kidney disease, for kidney failure. And it restores most of the function that your own kidneys were doing. And the healthier the kidney you can get as a kidney transplant, the better you will feel and so having good healthy kidneys for transplantation is really important. The best kidneys for transplantation will often come from people who are still living, so family members, friends who might choose to donate a kidney but kidneys from people who have, who have died are also will work really well and, and keep someone well and off dialysis treatment.
1: Well I can attest a lot of what you just said there Pippa, having suffered mm-hmm. complete renal failure mm-hmm. I didn't have to go on dialysis because an organ became available to me at a time when I didn't even, expect it. Organ donation is such an important important thing for people who are on waiting lists. What's your final word on that?
3: Organ donation transforms people's lives. I'm saying that to you but you know it does. The treatments we have for kidney failure aren't as good as a transplant the transplant really is the, the best treatment. It just totally transforms people's lives and there are other organs that fail that there aren't treatment for other than transplantation. So there isn't a form of heart dialysis, there isn't a form of lung dialysis so people whose hearts and lungs fail are really reliant on having a transplant or some sort of transplanted device so and transplants can only happen if we have organs to transplant and those organs only exist when people choose to donate a kidney or an organ um, either when they're still alive or they choose to make sure that their wishes about organ donation are known so after they've died someone's family is brave enough to um, say yes to organ donation so yeah organ donation transforms lives and i think for organ donors it's an incredible legacy to have to know that your organs have gone on to transform and often save people's lives
0: Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio.
1: What is it like to be an organ donor? What kind of life do you have after donating an organ? Do you go back to normal? Can you do regular stuff like go to work? I don't know. I've never donated an organ. I do know that I have received one. And I know the absolute miracle and the joy of feeling a little better. And I will confess, getting an organ is treatment. And sometimes that organ and the treatment around it causes a lot of mayhem. But I wouldn't swap that for anything. I wouldn't swap my transplant for one day on dialysis, despite the medical issues I have developed from getting that transplant. The transplant has transformed my life. So we're going to meet an organ donor, a very special gentleman who donated ages ago, long before there was Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and all these wonderful things that make campaigning so easy. A gentleman that saw a need and based on his Caribbean culture and upbringing, he decided, I am not leaving a friend." in need. And as he so nobly puts it, you don't deny someone a plate of food. I like that analogy because I like food. We'll hear what Raff has gone on to do after donating a kidney. And we'll hear about his side effects from, you know, donating a kidney. Has it made him ill? Or did he just have a little bit of pain in his knees? We'll find out from him Because his is an amazing story about donating and how it's made someone's life much, much better. Almost 15 years later. So you stay tuned. Lots of information and a couple bits of laughter for you as well. Thank you.
4: For me, I'm uh, um, what I call a mature organ donor boss. It happened about 14 years ago this time now. Uh, we did it in 2007. So in, in, a, in a way, kind of like has lost some of its pizzazz. It actually started back in 1999. The lady I donated my kidney to is a former co-worker. We worked together at um, Sky Television. I was leaving and she was my replacement. So I handed over to her. We worked together for about two months. And then left eye, and I heard that fell ill. And after about three years, I eventually found her again in the hospital. And basically, I was just there, waiting for her to get better. And it ended up being we were And it took about a year for the actual transplant to happen. But we went through all the loops and dumps. With it. And um, yeah, I had a successful kidney transplant in 2007. 14 years later, in 2021, it is still going strong to so knock on wood. Long may continue, but I didn't expect it to last this long, but we're all quite shocked that it has. So I'm really looking forward to 15 right
1: now. You told me quite a few things about how the donation occurred and you were happy to donate and it was 2007 and you might think it's a long time ago, but it isn't for her. What mm. process did you have to go through, Raf? And at any time, did you have second thoughts?
4: You always have second thoughts, yeah, all the way along the way. And they would give you the way out. There was a way out to me. I could, at any point in time, even on the day of the operation, I could have upped out and said, no, stop, weed, really. I don't want to do this. However, coming from the Caribbean and coming from the, the upbringing that, uh, that I had and things like that, is that you don't leave a sick friend. And I, I genuinely always thought that she was going to get better. I hung around her for years. She had a daughter. The root cause of her problem was lupus, and I think it was the pregnancy that triggered her lupus. So her daughter knew her had been sick all of her life. Nice. So when I met her, she had a three-year, four-year-old daughter. She was sick all the time, You know, and I just hung around. When we got around to that point about years or so, and the kidney donation came up, I didn't know too much about it or what it was and the terms of what she says. They have to ask somebody, the hospital, asking people to get tested to see if they are matched and things like that. When I said yes to do it, I just did the test. It was just a simple blood test to see if you are matched, and it turns out to you are matched. And from my Caribbean upbringing and this type of stuff, I just thought, oh, that is most likely the reason why I've been hanging around here all this time, falling back on our religion. You see, you know, God brings you to it, It helps you get compared to different parts of the world where these things are happening and where these things are done. The MHS in England, one of the best medical people for this kind of thing to be done. So the yeah, are yes, but there were also two, a lot of things that were in the favor of. I saw how the took care of our first three years...
1: I want to ask you, medically, how have you been for the last almost 15 years?
4: Going into the operation, I was thinking, God, you know, there's so many things that I want to do in my life. What if it goes wrong? And, you know, you just stay silent and you say, you know, God, if I get through this, I'm going to go out and do all the things that I want to do or I've ever wanted to do. Or I will not deny the opportunity to do anything. And basically, in the short version, what I tell people, is, I donated a kidney and in return, I got a new appreciation for life.
1: Oh, that is just a beautiful way to finish that statement. Well, yeah. So, Raph. You have donated a kidney. You have saved Mm -hmm. someone's life. And you've also Mm -hmm. been living a very fulfilling life. And we're going to talk about some of that fulfillment in a minute. Mm -hmm. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you think about?
4: First thing I think about. I went through different stages. So after the donation, I got a new appreciation for life. I was just out on getting more and doing more out of life. I started running. I uh, did one or two ten K and I coincidentally did a half marathon for the operation and then I did mm. more after the operation. I just continued doing more and more challenges. Every year I tried I used to try and celebrate my good health after the operation. What happens after donation? I switched for five years and I think the answer I came to was that people just go back to their normal life.
1: Mm. And
4: and that's what I've done as well.
1: What was the most amazing thing you did after you donated your kidney to save a friend's life?
4: So, the most amazing thing is that I removed mental blocks from my mind. And I tried. It, it came into a little bit of a yes-man scenario. I just took on opportunities then. That just passed it by. I just said, yeah, I'll just do that. And originally it started off with every year after the transplant, even not to now, I have an annual checkup. So it was working towards this annual check in me It most. Because there's a question that the doctors always ask. So you work towards getting an answer for that question. The first year, I trained to do a 10K and it was in London, 10,000. And when the doctor asked me, how was I feeling? I said, I ran a 10K. Second year, I did a skydive. And the third year, I did the London Marathon. And the mm-hmm. answer to the question of that one was, when the doctor asked, how was I at my third annual appointment, was that my knee hurt a little bit <laughs> after I finished the London Marathon. But otherwise, I was okay.
1: That is
4: so it funny. <laughs> 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 I printed my own T-shirt. All the time I got out of the operation, I got back home. I made my own myspace. I made my own brand, minus one kidney. And it was minus one kidney, everything. And then, during that time, the London Olympics was coming up. And we all knew the Olympics was coming long before I um, arrived in London. But in the two years running up to it, basically, I signed up to everything that was free to do with the Olympics. I signed up. To it. I was a I was a games maker at probably the stadium. I was a games maker at the Paralympics. The combination of the charity work that I did after the organization and the marathon running and things like that, I got a couple of nominations to carry the Olympic torch, and I eventually got to carry the Olympic torch. I was part of the win rush in the Olympic ceremony. Obviously, the win rush is the story of all the migrants that came to England from the Caribbean um in the nineteen sixties and now I'm a migrant from the Caribbean in the nineteen nineties, you know, so there's a lot of history and
1: absolutely your story, Ralph is rare. Your story is very special. Stories like yours, as you said, didn't come around very often. No one asked you to donate a kidney. You were not part of a campaign. You were not looking at a campaign for people asking for kidneys. So I know you say that your story has gone cold, but your story hasn't gone cold for lots of people. And your story is coming alive now, which is why it was important for me to speak to you. Not just any donor who started donating when there are major campaigns, but someone who just got up and donated almost 15 years ago. That's very unusual. Raf, what would you say to someone who told you they did not believe organ donation was important?
4: I, I think what all Caribbean people should be able to relate to is you have a friend, you wish them well. And just like how it's part of, the, it's part of our culture, whereby you don't deny somebody a plate of food. You don't wish bad on other people. Right now, the world we're living in a crazy time whole pandemic, and misinformation has gone off the scale about normal, common things. So right now, it would be to sit down and have an individual conversation with individual people about what they think it actually is. Generally speaking, to see standard messages, would you receive or would you be happy for members of your family to receive? Some people are rich with health, and, and they don't know it. I was rich with health. I did not appreciate it. Why, why would I run a 10K when I have a car? It's much easier to drive six miles. And then once you start to push it for yourself, then you want it for other people as well. And then I realized, well, wait, I can share my good health. My situation was that my co-worker, she was a mother, she had a daughter, and she was talking to me about making plans for if she doesn't make it and what, what is going to happen to her daughter she made me um, godfather, you know, and uh, in my mind, the options for me are, uh, I could give her mother, one of my kidneys, make her mother better, that makes sense, that was a perfectly logical thing to do.
0: Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant, in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio.
1: I'm Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner, podcasting for our health. I didn't set out to do this. However, I am the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I am a transplant recipient myself.
0: Hi, I'm Pat Hart, a broadcaster of mostly South Asian background. And I'm partnering with Primrose to produce this series of podcasts.